everyone, and welcome back to our online ministry at Grace Baptist Church. Now, tonight we have our online town hall meeting for members. So if you are a member, I want to encourage you to log in early so we can get started sharp at six o'clock. If you're new to our ministry, welcome. We're in a series right now called How Jacob Became Israel, and we're glad you're joining with us. Love for you to leave a comment below to let us know you were here. Now, I don't know if any of you saw the 1983 film Tender Mercies, but Robert Duvall won an Academy Award for his portrayal of Max Ledge. Mac was this washed up country music singer trying to recover from alcoholism. He meets a widow named Rosalie, and both he and her son, Sonny, are baptized in a small local church. Mac and Sonny talk as they drive home in Mac's pickup truck afterwards. Sonny begins. Well, we've done it, Mac. We're baptized. <laughs> Mac replies, yeah, we are. Everybody said I was going to feel like a changed person, but I guess I do feel a little bit different, but I don't feel a whole lot different. Do you? Not yet. <laughs> you don't look any different. Do you think I look any different? Mac answers again, not yet. <laughs> and as their tra conversation trails off, we're left wondering what they were expecting might have changed at their baptism. We also can't help but wonder what change will look like for them. Is Mac, gonna try, is, is Mac going to be on his own to try and resolve his troubled past? Is, is Sonny going to have to chart his course for his future by himself? And is the fact that they don't look or feel all that different after their baptism show that Maybe it didn't work or that God doesn't bother to help us change. I think that different people struggle with this question and phrase it in different ways. Uh, people who are new to church or keep their distance from church sometimes think that they have to somehow clean themselves up before they could ever get too close to God. Others who have been around church for longer know that there are lots of things that you can do. <laughs> and it can feel like spiritual growth is like a do-it-yourself project. Doesn't God bother to help us change? Those are the questions that today's passage deals with. We've been in a series uh, that, uh, and, and, and dealing with the life of Jacob, and we've seen that he's got a lot of problems. He's come from a dysfunctional family, and he helped to contribute to a lot of that dysfunction. But he's had this remarkable encounter with God. Like Mac and Sonny in the movie Tender Mercies, even after that, he just doesn't look a whole lot different yet. And we wonder if he ever will. If you don't have a Bible handy, you might want to pause the video at this point and grab one. I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 29, and I'm going to start reading at verses 5 to 11. And before I read, just want to pick up the scene for you. Jacob has just arrived in Haran where he's come in search of his relative Laban and ultimately in search of a bride. Here he meets some shepherds at a well. And I'll read from verse 5. He said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel his daughter is coming with a sheep. He said, Behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep. Go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, 
Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. This is the word of God. Now, when Jacob speaks with the shepherds, they're sitting on their hands waiting for uh, everyone to gather. Until then, they're not going to move the stone from the well. They seem lazy and passive. But when Rachel approaches, time seems to stand still. It was a, if it was a movie, she would arrive in slow motion and her hair would be flowing behind her. And Jacob is just transfixed. Verse 10 says, As soon as Jacob saw Rachel, he came near and rolled the stone from the well. <laughs> he has single-handedly moved a rock that normally won't budge without the combined effort of the other shepherds. <laughs> now, this happened 4,000 years ago in the Middle East, but guys are still doing this at Good Life Fitness on Friday nights in Richmond Hill. When the right girl walks into the exercise room, the guys are doubling their speed on the treadmill, adding another 50 pounds at the bench. They want to impress, and there's this adrenaline rush that seems to give superhuman strength. Now, Jacob rushes to water Rachel's flock, but before she could even say shalom, he's planted a kiss on her. <laughs> in one sense, they're related, and so it can be read as a simple family greeting. But as you read on, it's also clear that Jacob is taken with Rachel's beauty, and he has romantic intentions. He has come, after all, to find a wife. In verse 17, when it describes Rachel and her sister Leah, it says that Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, scholars aren't exactly sure what the idiom about weak eyes meant, but it doesn't say Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel had 20-20 vision. <laughs> Rachel was gorgeous, and there was something about her sister Leah that just wasn't. And for Jacob, that seemed to settle things. Yet, something doesn't feel right. Is this how the child of promise chooses a spouse? Should the mother of the promised seed be chosen through an ad hoc beauty contest? Isn't God going to help him cha change? I'm going to pick up the story at verse 13 and read to verse 15. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now it seems like a friendly exchange. But underneath the pleasantries is a carefully worded negotiation. It sounds like Laban's trying to avoid the impression of taking advantage of Jacob. <laughs> but he's actually pressuring him into a job and declaring himself as his new boss. When it comes time for Jacob to name his wages, we're not surprised that he has Rachel on his mind. In verse 18, he says, I will serve you seven years 
for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban can hear his desperation. Jacob's offering double the going rate for a bride, and Laban is more than willing to accommodate his naive generosity. It all seems to be falling into place for Jacob. Yet again, something doesn't feel right. Is this how a child of promise enters into a marriage? It feels so unspiritual. There's never any mention of God, no reference to prayer. Isn't God going to help Jacob change? A similar exchange in Genesis 24 between Laban and the servant of Jacob's father, Isaac, helps put Jacob's actions in perspective. He's got the same task as Jacob. He has to find a wife for Isaac from, a from among his relatives. And so he goes to the same place. But as soon as he arrives at this same well in Haran, he prays. And in his prayer, he asks for the woman of God's choosing. He wants her to be revealed, but not by her beauty. He doesn't say, send me the most beautiful one. But he looks for her character, specifically her eagerness to serve and water his camels. Now, when God reveals the one, Isaac's servant explains God's guidance to Laban. And he can't say anything except, this is from the Lord. There's no years of work. There's no back and forth negotiation. There's just a reliance on God and a recognition of God's working. With Jacob, there's none of that. And what's worse, Jacob can't see what he's doing wrong. And, and we're listening to this and we're thinking, doesn't God care? Isn't he going to help him change? And what about us? Are we alone and trying to get it together? Is a Christian life a do-it-yourself project? Now, it looks like any hope for Jacob's growth is lost. But at least the thought of Rachel has given a skip to his step. Verse 20 says it all for how Jacob passed these seven years. It's a verse that sometimes I'll, I'll quote to Jennifer when she asks me to do a chore. It says, Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. <laughs> Now, when the seven years have passed, Jacob asks Laban for his wife, and there's a great feast in celebration of the newlyweds. After Jacob's full from the meal, in good spirits from the wine, Laban brings a bride to him, and they consummate the marriage. The seven-year wait is finally over. But when we get to the climax, when we hear how things went, verse 25 just gives us the statement, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> Leah? As he stares into the weak eyes of the woman he has been tricked into marrying, a thousand thoughts must rush through him. As he had lulled his father into a good mood with his favorite food, so he had let his own guard down because of a great feast. As he had tricked his own father by switching places with his sibling, now he has been tricked by a woman who had switched places with hers. As he had relied on his father's poor eyesight to be able to impersonate his brother, now he had been shown to be the blind one. Did he really not notice that he was with the wrong sister that night? How ironic that he had criticized Leah for having weak eyes. <laughs> and the irony surely isn't completely lost on him. 
Surely God is teaching him a lesson. He sees the sinfulness of his deceit. He feels the injustice of taking advantage of someone who's vulnerable. And he can't help but acknowledge that in refusing to live by faith, he's walked in blindness. Jacob's not alone in his personal growth after all. God is at work in his circumstances, helping him to see his sin, helping him to change. But Jacob being Jacob, he's not going to go down without a fight. He marches in to see his father-in-law. And in verse, in, in verse 25, he says, what, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban appeals to tradition and silences his son-in-law. Doesn't he know that the younger daughter is given away in marriage before the older? Jacob's own striving to upend the birth order has come back on him. But Jacob still hasn't learned his lesson. When Laban offers Jacob his other daughter, Rachel, as a second wife in return for another seven years of work, he still doesn't stop to consider the offer. Still doesn't look to God. Still doesn't stop to pray. Still doesn't question whether it might not be God's will for him to marry the younger, the more beautiful Rachel. And so God will give him another long seven years of labor to ponder these things. And finally, the point of the passage becomes clear. Not only is God committed to our growth, but when necessary, God will use sinful people to help us to see our own sins. We don't usually think like that, do we? We assume that God will teach us our lessons in Bible studies and sermons. But sometimes we need a Laban to deal with our Jacob. We need a stubborn person to force us to confront the stubbornness in our own hearts. We need a proud person to help us to see our pride. We need an annoying person to make us think about how we treat others. Sometimes we need a Laban to deal with our Jacob. Why don't you just take a moment to think about the most difficult person in your workplace? Could God have put them there to make you think about the effect that you have on the people around you? Are they God's means of confronting your lack of patience or forgiveness, grace or love? Sometimes we need a Laban to deal with our Jacob. How about in your family? Could some of the conflict that you wish could be done with, could it be God's way of putting a mirror to your own sin? Is he trying to get through to you? Is he trying to help you change? Sometimes we need a Laban to deal with our Jacob. Even in the church, some of the grating and the tension in our relationships with each other is God's means of smoothing out our rough edges. It's only natural that sinful people getting close to other sinful people are going to rub each other the wrong way at times. But this passage teaches us sometimes there may, may be a divine design to it. God is at work helping us to grow. Spiritual growth isn't a do-it-yourself project after all. Sometimes we need a Laban to deal with our Jacob. Now, Jacob's marriage fiasco ends with him completing another seven years of work, taking a second wife that we still have no indication that God had ever intended him to marry, and showing the same kind of favoritism to his wives that his father had shown to him and his brother Esau. Verse 30 just ends with the words, He loved Rachel more than Leah. 
and served Laban for another seven years. As we look at the passage, we got to ask the question, are you walking in Jacob's footsteps? Are you approaching the tasks that God has given you without prayer and without God? Are you blindly walking into relationships based on sight rather than faith? Are you trying to get what you want through your own effort and striving with little reliance on the God who made you? There's an important verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. There are painful consequences to sin. So God wants to warn us to repent. But he also knows that often the warnings don't get through to us. And we know that too, if we're honest with ourselves. There's a famous study done at John Hopkins University. What they did was they examined the patients whose heart disease was so severe that they had to undergo bypass surgery. And they found that despite being warned of certain death, if they did not adopt healthier lifestyles, consistently 90% of patients were unwilling or unable to do so. They just wouldn't change. I think that's why God hasn't left us alone. He's at work to change us. He's not trying to make our lives difficult, but sometimes, if we're honest, we're pretty stubborn to his prompting. Sometimes we need a, Lab a Laban to deal with our Jacob. And so he sends us just what we need. Now, we've talked a lot about Jacob this morning, but let's end by considering Leah. How'd you like to be known as a sister with the weak eyes? How'd you like to be the one the suitors were fighting to pass over? How'd you like to be told to pretend to be your sister on her wedding night so your father could trick someone into marrying you? While Leah's circumstances were extreme, the fact is that I think that most of the time we feel more like Leah than we do Rachel. Leah was the unloved wife, but it's clear that God had chosen her and God loved her. God chose her as Jacob's wife, and as we see next time, God chose her to bear the child of promise. Jesus came through Leah's offspring, not Rachel's. God sees those whom the world overlooks, and he has mercy on them. In fact, God has rescued us through a savior who looked more like Leah than Rachel. Isaiah chapter 53, verses, uh, verse 2, says this of the Messiah. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to give his life for people like Jacob, Laban, people like Leah and Rachel. And because he died to take the punishment for our sins, spiritual growth isn't a do-it-yourself project. We don't need to clean ourselves up before we can come to him. But we do need to see what God was trying to make Jacob see. We need to see our sin. We need to acknowledge our stubbornness and the ways that we've turned our backs on him. We need to recognize we need a savior too. And if that's you for the first time this morning, I want to urge you to come to Jesus as your savior. He pardons all of our sin. 
But you've, if you've done that, I don't want you to think that change happens all at once either. First, Jesus forgives us, and then he changes us. When we're born again, we crawl before we walk. Mac and Sonny, they didn't look all that, all that different the moment they were baptized. But that didn't mean that their growth was a do-it-yourself project. Jesus works to change those who are his. There's a verse in Philippians 2.12 that shows the balance. In verse 12, it says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God wants us to pursue holiness and deal with our sin. But the next verse says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is at work in you. And God knows your past. He understands where you're most stubborn, where you're most susceptible to temptation. He knows where you're tempted to cut corners and where your blind spots are. And so he's at work in you. He seeks your attention through messages like this one. He's trying to get through to you as you open the Bible. He ministers to us as we get close to other believers in fellowship. But God also knows that Sometimes your mind's wandering during the sermon. Maybe that's happening right now. <laughs> he also knows that sometimes you sleep in instead of rising early to read God's word. He knows that you may not give fellowship the priority it deserves. And so sometimes we leave God no other choice than to have him use sinful people to have us, have, help us see our sin. The book of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 10, says this, God dis disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Sometimes he sends a Laban to help us deal with our Jacob. But you're not alone in this, so don't live like you are. Invite God into your decisions. Invite him into your relationships. Invite him into your plans. And when he sends you a Laban, Consider whether that Laban might be God's gift to help you to change. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great news that we are not alone. That spiritual growth isn't a do-it-yourself project. That you're at work in our lives. So help us to cooperate with you. Help us to cooperate with your plan. Help us to respond when you speak. And Father, would you give us eyes of faith to see the Labans in our world? To receive them with grace and understanding. And to believe that through them you can teach us. You can change us. Thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ, the one who suffered in our place that we might have life in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I pray that today's message has helped you to see that your spiritual growth isn't a do-it-yourself project. You're not alone. God loves you enough to not leave you as you are. So lean in and cooperate with what God is doing. And if this message has created questions for you, feel free to email me or leave a comment below. 
And if there is someone you know who would be encouraged by this message, then share it with them. Point to God's good promises for all who believe. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.